Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture, and thank you for joining us to kick off a new week and letting us be part of your day. Hope you had a good weekend. This should be quite a week as we get ready for the much-anticipated U.S.-China trade deal phase one to finally get signed. What happens to USMCA? What happens with impeachment? So many things happening on this week ahead. So we're going to talk things over today with Arlen Suderman with... uh, INTL FC Stone, because we had a lot of numbers come out on Friday. Want to talk about that and then look ahead to the anticipated China deal. Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist, will join us as well to talk about those numbers from Friday and uh, where we go from here. And, of course, we'll be talking weather with DTM meteorologist Mike Pomerino with us again this week. It was an active uh, weekend in many parts of the country with some severe weather in places What's ahead? When's that next storm going to roll through? We'll find out a little bit later on. But we're going to start things off for today and for the week with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. They do a great job of covering all these stories. And Sarah, thank you for joining us. And uh, I was thinking this morning, I wonder if we look, if we could count up in 2019 how many words were written, how many words were spoken about China. Uh, and it would be an amazing number. And we're starting off 2020 with China right at the top of the list of things we're talking about. Oh, absolutely. And good morning, Mike. Always a pleasure to be with you. All eyes are going to be on the signing ceremony, which will be taking place on Wednesday at the White House. The vice premier of China has already arrived in the U.S. and will be arriving today to have some additional discussions and I suppose, make sure that all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. But, of course, none of us really know all the details. We know that there are pledges included in that to uh, purchase up to $40 billion in uh, ag purchases over the next two years. Uh, and we do know that there are some other changes that have been included, some structural changes, perhaps on phytosanitary and sanitary measures, perhaps on biotechnology but as they always say, Mike, the devil's in the details, and we know that uh, there's going to be a lot of details. So we're looking forward to being at the White House on Wednesday to provide you and our readers that information as soon as we can find out. And I wonder, even after Wednesday, if we'll have all the details or how many details will we have. I mean, this is going to be an ongoing story as far as implementation, enforcement. When will it really kick in? How much? You know, the, the administration keeps using that 40 to $50 billion uh, uh, mark uh, to shoot for. And, I mean, this is going to take a while to all play out. Absolutely. And as you probably saw in the in-depth interview I did with Ambassador Dowd, you know, he's made it very clear it's not going to happen overnight. And mm-hmm. the other thing that we don't really understand is that the Chinese have agreed to make purchases, but they've agreed that they need to be competitive purchases. So how does that work if the Brazilian soybeans are so much less than American soybeans, then at what time will they be buying ours versus theirs? Uh, we don't really know what kind of a trigger mechanism, if any, is in that and what the definition of competitive purchases is. So there are a lot of things that we'll be trying to dig into. So the the word China will be at the top of our vernacular <laughs> for you know months to come. For the foreseeable future, that's for sure. Meanwhile, it looks like USMCA is going to get pushed back a bit now in the Senate if indeed uh, Speaker Pelosi sends the articles of impeachment to the Senate this week. Yes, as you know, she was on some of the talk shows over the weekend and talking about soon as the uh, time to deliver. But even if uh, she does wait until the end of this week, you know, the parliamentarian in the Senate has decided not just Senate Finance Committee, which approved USMCA on a 25 to 3 very bipartisan vote, uh, they got it done, um, but we've got five other committees now that they have ruled have to approve the measure. Uh, five of those have, have already scheduled hearings, and then the sixth, 
the Appropriations Committee has not yet scheduled a vote. So unless there's some really miraculous uh, scheduling thing that happens this week, it's likely to be pushed back because as soon as those articles do arrive from the House, that's going to be job number one for everybody in the Senate. Another story to watch, the Ag Department Friday unveiled some uh, proposed rules that would uh, set up new rules to determine when action by meat packers and large livestock uh, dealers would create an unfair business environment for farmers. In other words, uh, another effort to uh, uh, update or overhaul the GYPSA rules. This has been tried before. Uh, it's back in the forefront again now. What do you think's going to come of this? Well, as you know, it has been tried several times in the past. The Obama administration uh, tried to advance this again, and and it was withdrawn shortly after the new administration came in with uh, Secretary Perdue. And so uh, what this does, really, with the GIPSA rules is try to set out these parameters of what are the criteria for unfair treatment of producers. Uh, It says, you know, there would be these certain stipulations that are it would be included but not limited to whether the preference can't be limited on the uh, basis of cost savings, can't be justified on the basis of meeting the terms or prices offered by our competitor, can't be justified as a reasonable business decision that would be customary in the industry. A lot of folks don't think that these go far enough, including the National Farmers Union, National Sustainable Ag Coalition. Uh, it looks like this could be another one that's headed to the courts. And then another story to watch is GAO will now review the uh, exemptions policies handed out uh, by EPA under this administration. So they're going to get involved in this. Yeah, obviously the GAO has a lot of heft and and a lot of people pay attention to how they analyze these sorts of decisions. I don't know that it's going to change anything out of this administration, but it should give us perhaps a little bit more daylight uh, behind some of the decision-making. I do think that the administration may be saying that they didn't give the ethanol interest all they wanted under this, but uh, I would be shocked if there's not uh, more for ethanol and DDGs in these, this agreement with China. So those are the stories. Some of the stories uh, we'll be watching this week and beyond. Meanwhile, uh, in your open mic interview at AgriPulse, uh, uh, you're talking this week with the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, our good friend Colin Whittle. Yes, Colin has made it very clear that they're not going to stand pat and just take some of this criticism or take some of the what they view as mislabeling from some of the plant-based folks. As you know, the checkoffs are also under fire. Of course, his is not a checkoff organization, but they do receive a lot of funding. Uh, there are a lot of the Humane Society folks that are going after checkoffs and, and trying to make a big deal about uh, trying to reform those uh, entities. So he's got a, a lot of good talking points in his interview of how NCBA is going to approach the critics that they've been uh, seen increasingly mounting about their industry and Certainly we know beef production as a whole is under uh, attack by those who want to suggest, like uh, the folks in Hollywood, want to inaccurately suggest that there's a big role for livestock production and global warming. Lots going on. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Mike. Sarah Wyatt with AgriPulse Communications. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications. And it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. If your soil could talk, what would it say? 
If it's healthy, it may already be saying some good things about your future. Because farmers who use soil health building systems that include no-till, cover crops, and diverse species and rotations report greater productivity, profitability, and resiliency to weather extremes. Learn more about what your soil is saying about its health and your future. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today. This message brought to you by USDA at this radio station. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us now is Jonathan Coppas, Assistant Professor of Agricultural and Consumer Economics at the University of Illinois. Jonathan, thanks for being with us. I've noticed more and more these payments are starting to, to get some scrutiny and in some cases criticism uh, from various uh, uh, areas as uh, people look more closely at them, who's getting them, the amount of them, things like that. So this is going to be a story we'll be talking about for a while. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt you put that kind of uh, that kind of cash infusion into the countryside. There's there's no doubt it's going to help, and and it certainly is going to help at a time that you know farmers have been struggling for multiple years. But really, the the trade and tariff uh, moves by this administration has made it you know that much more difficult. And so you know there, there, nobody discounts the fact that these will help, and these are helping at a time of, uh, of of some real challenges financially and economically. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manual Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk weather and what a round of weather across the country the last few days rain snow sleet tornadoes a little bit of everything mike pomerino dtn meteorologist joins us now mike is this going to be a calmer week or do we have more storms headed across the country i'm afraid more storms mike it looks like we're going to see kind of a repeat performance doesn't look quite as severe as the weekend system but uh showing some similarities to it um it looks like right now we're talking uh, pretty quiet weather much of this week, but we've got our eye on uh, the end of the week, uh, Friday into Saturday, with uh, more potential uh, uh, heavy rains over uh, uh, the southern and eastern Midwest and on down into the lower Miss Valley, maybe a little bit of severe weather. And it looks like we'll actually, uh, this system will get further north and actually produce some. Uh, significant snowfall up through the uh, uh, northern portions of the uh, the northwest portions of the Midwest Corn Belt and on up into the northern plains. So more precipitation after a lot of precipitation the last few days, some heavy rains in places, thunderstorms, a lot of thunder and lightning, and things you don't think much of in January, and of course the severe weather in places. Uh, boy, there's a lot of uh, saturated soils. There is, you know, there's just no end to this. I, you know, I, I've been running around in the back of my mind the thought that if, uh, 
if the Midwest, you know, didn't get any additional moisture between now and the end of uh, planting, uh, uh, that that would probably be nearly ideal, as outlandish as it sounds. But just the opposite is going to happen, as you said. We're going to get a lot more. Um, so when we look at for January, uh, how unusual is the weather we're having now? How much out of the norm for a lot of parts of the country? Well, it's it's unusual. There's no question about that. Where we're dealing with, um, you know, a lot of warm water in the in the Pacific, and and that's creating a lot of these storms, which are running in the East Coast. And we've also been looking at uh, uh, some very um, strong high pressure areas in the Atlantic, uh, the what we call the Bermuda High in summer. And the combination of those two systems is is really just creating, you know, all these uh, very severe, uh, unusual storms for midwinter, and also the the record warmth that uh, mm-hmm. you know the eastern part of the country is seeing in some cases all time uh, January warmth uh, right on up into the northeastern part of the country. Yeah, that's unusual. The the mild weather here in January is that going to continue? Are we going to have uh, these mild temperatures for a while longer? Uh, it looks like it's going to break down. I think the uh, the real persistently warm weather is uh, is is gone. Um, we are going to see a brief turn to um, a much colder weather behind that end of the week storm. That that's when it's really going to feel like winter again despite the fact the temperatures this week will be, you know, at times closer than normal. It's going to seem cool, but once we, we bring in a little bit of Arctic cold early next week, that's really going to be a wake-up call. But right now, you know, the indications we thought maybe going into this winter that we would see something similar to last winter where we would see a major breakdown uh, in the pattern, the polar vortex would come south and, produce a you know a pretty prolonged period of uh, bitter cold but that's not showing up right now the polar vortex looks like at least through the end of this month is going to stay up in northeast canada and greenland so that is not going to allow for any persistently bitter cold weather and despite the fact we're talking uh, much colder early next week mike it it doesn't look like it lasts it looks like temperatures you know, moderate rapidly by the middle of next week, and we potentially bring more storminess back in as well. That's why you have to be careful with those long-range forecasts, right? They could really change in a hurry. Absolutely. Yeah. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Mike Pomerino uh, about what has been so far some very unusual January weather uh, Mike, when you look over the events of, of the last few days uh, with the different uh, storms and, and, and weather patterns, uh, especially folks got hit by those tornadoes now, is that, that kind of severe weather, has that moved on now? Yes, it is, uh, it, it is moving on uh, out through the uh, southeastern part of the country right now. So, yeah, we are going to be going through a, uh, you know, a much quieter week here, but Again, I don't think it will be as severe, but, you know, there is going to be something that bears watching, again, for the end of the week, where we're not totally out of the woods yet, but I think that the extremeness of this pattern with the incredible clash of air masses and the record warmth, uh, that's not coming back, so that should temper the impact of this uh, next storm coming up for the end of the week. Are there any really dry areas of the country? Boy, there really aren't. Uh, you know, I would say that if if you want to look at the southwestern plains, uh, you know, that's an area where soil moisture is running uh, short to a degree, although they have been getting some beneficial precip recently. But if you ask me, is, is there any area that, could use more moisture that would be beneficial. Uh, that would be about the only area: West Texas, uh, Western Oklahoma, Western Kansas, Eastern Colorado. Yeah, we don't spend much time looking at that uh, drought monitor map I- anymore, do we? We sure don't. It is. Uh, it, it's amazing how how so wet everything has been become over the last few years, and 
we just continue to build off of that. We haven't seen a, uh, you know, uh, uh, a peak of this wet pattern yet. It, it, it still seems to be getting wetter. Hmm. All right, let's look to South America as uh, we keep an eye on their uh, their cropping season. And, of course, uh, they've had some pretty good weather. Are they still getting pretty good weather? They are. You know, the uh, first of all, looking at Brazil, we were getting a little bit concerned about dryness in Rio Grande do Sul in that southern uh, growing area. They had been turning uh, quite a bit hotter and drier. Uh, the bean crop isn't into filling there yet, so it wasn't of major concern, but they needed rain, and they got it. They picked up one to three inches over the weekend, and it looks like they could get another half to one and a half inches uh, during the middle of this week, so that's just what they need, and that's going to set them up, you know, at least through the end of this month. And then meanwhile, in the big bean areas, Paraná, Mato Grosso, they just continue to march along with nearly ideal conditions. They continue to get spoon-fed with rain. Uh, the crop's filling right now, maturing, a little very early harvesting going on, but couldn't be better. The only area in Brazil that's having a problem this year is northeastern Brazil. Uh, the, about 10% of their crop is being impacted by hot, dry weather. They're in another round of it now, and they're going to lose some beans there, but it's a marginal growing area. Yep, but, you know, overall, as you said, it's pretty good down there. That means uh, there'll be a lot of uh, South American beans on in the market for us to compete with. Uh, what about the situation in Australia and the fires and the devastation there? Really not much change. You know, we just continue to see, um, you know, fits and starts with more of this uh, uh, heat and uh and drought just ongoing here, and, you know, it, it, it's probably, you know, they're in midsummer down there now, so the idea of this thing totally changing anytime soon, they're probably going to have to wait for a seasonal change uh, to occur in the fall, but, again, we're, not, we're looking out towards September, October for that to happen. Already starting to see some stories about uh, how it impacts their their uh, ag production in Australia, how it affects overall global food uh, competition and, and uh, marketing and supplies. Yeah, again, at this point, you know, the only crops being impacted are cotton and, uh, and sorghum, their summer crop. It'll be the winter crop that we're going to be keeping an eye on. And when I said September, October, I was thinking northern hemisphere. The southern hemisphere, well, we'd be looking out at, um, at March, April. That's when the potential seasonal changes could take place there to get them out of this pattern. And that's also what we'll be looking at for the uh, uh, upcoming uh, winter wheat planting season. Will they start getting more rain to get that wheat crop planted in March and April? Yep, that'll be a story to watch. All right, Mike, thanks for being with us again this week. We appreciate it. You're welcome, Mike. DTM meteorologist Mike Pomerino. All right, up next, Arlen Suderman with INTLFC Stone. Lots of numbers came out the end of last week. We'll be going over those numbers and what uh, is the takeaway from uh, those reports for Arlen. And, of course, looking ahead to what a potential and anticipated U.S.-China trade deal could mean for the markets. That's coming up next. Stay with us on AOA. The patented pod shatter reduction technology canola hybrids from Invigor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. Contact your local BASF seed advisor today. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Time is money, right? And money? Well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. Cenex Premium Diesel protects both. With a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, Cenex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now, don't spend all that free time in one place, unless it's the highway. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Do you like what you're hearing on Adams on Agriculture? Continue that conversation, Important Agriculture, on Twitter. You can follow the talk show at AOA underscore talk show or follow Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Ag. Here you will receive real-time highlights of the show and see what others are buzzing about in the industry. Adams on Agriculture hopes to meet you online. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. The trade war with China has taken a toll on U.S. farmers, importers of auto parts, furniture, and machinery. Still, as the U.S. and China prepare to sign a first-stage trade accord on Wednesday, some economists warn it could take years for the full consequences to be realized, especially with most Chinese imports still subject to U.S. tariffs. Details of that Phase 1 trade deal expected to be released immediately after the signing. Traders say the actual details will be crucial for determining how good of a deal it is and what a Phase 2 deal might need to include. Traders still looking over USDA's WASDE numbers from Friday. USDA bumping up corn yield and soybean production while showing overall lower quarterly stocks for corn soybeans and wheat compared to a year ago an hour into the trading day march soybeans down five and three quarters at 940 and a quarter march corn two cents higher at 387 and three quarters the wheats were easier in the overnight session that continues in the day trade chicago wheat march down two and a half at 562 kansas city march down a penny and three quarters 492 and a half minneapolis March down three at 555 and a quarter. For livestock at the Merck, minus signs and cattle and hog futures. February live cattle down 80 at 126.62. April down 67, 127.25. Feeder cattle, March contract down $1.15 at 146.32. Lean hog futures, the February contract down $1.32, 65.92. The Dow up 26 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we have lots to talk about with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. Arlen, thank you for joining us. Let's look back to Friday. We had uh, all those numbers come out. What was your takeaway? Well, the January reports are known for their surprises, and there were some surprises in there, but they kind of, in the eyes of the market, just kind of all canceled each other out and uh, became a non-event, basically, for the market, although I thought there were some very interesting things in there with some implications. Uh, the most significant thing to me was what USDA did regarding its 2018 crop. Uh, it... Uh, USDA NAS cut the size of the corn crop by 80 million bushel by reducing harvested acreage, left its yield the same, and that still left a deficit from the surprise uh, lower stocks that we saw on September 30th. I thought that was appropriate because I felt like USDA WASDE has been understating feed demand. But what they do, they reduced feed demand. I thought, how in the world do they do that? Well, they went back and they 
lowered the September 30th stocks number by 107 million. No resurveying. They just went back and said, you know, it all worked better together if we just lowered that number. And um, that's a significant uh, uh, move by USDA NAS that uh, I think is concerning. It's not the first time they've done it, but in the past they've been able to say, well, we stand by the numbers and the process. And, and this is an example of where they changed the process to make the numbers fit what they thought they should say rather than what the numbers actually do say. Which just is, adds to the frustration so many have with these reports. It really does, because I know there had been a lot of debate about USDA overstating the crop size. But I thought, okay, if they have a process and that's what the number comes up with, my bigger concern was understating demand. Uh, that has far bigger implications as far as stocks to use and uh, how much we need to produce in order to meet that demand going forward. And I think that's a better job of explaining some of the basis that we're seeing out there. Um, so to reduce that feed demand for the old crop year, then push the stocks-to-use ratio for last year up to a very comfortable 15.5%. They did raise the feed usage for the current year to 5.525 uh, billion bushels, uh, which I thought was appropriate. Um, but really, when you, when you look at corn feed demand, it has not been keeping up with the increase in livestock numbers in recent years. Part of that's because we've, we're doing some increased wheat feeding this year. Um, but part of it is I think they're just simply understating it, and uh, that's a continued frustration. So when it was all said and done, it turned out to be pretty much uh, a neutral day with the numbers? Uh, it did. Now, USDA NAS did say that they would be resurveying um, come probably sometime this spring. They didn't set a date, um, particularly the northern states, where, as you know, there's still a lot of corn in the ground. Most of these states are no longer releasing weekly crop progress reports. They're down to a, a monthly basis or so. The latest report we have from North Dakota is from the end of December, showing that a little over half of the corn crop was still in the field. All right, so we're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTLFC Stone. Regardless of what the numbers would have said on Friday, they were probably going to be overshadowed by what we're expecting to happen this week, right, with the signing of a U.S.-China trade deal. Yeah, at this point, that really sets the demand picture going forward. Supply is adequate. We can debate about the size of it, um, but it is adequate to meet the current known demand regardless of what you want to argue with the size of the crop is, the supply side. What is the demand going to be? And we hope to learn more with the signing of the agreement. We're probably not going to get the details of specific commodity commitments. In fact, uh, Greg Dowd, the U.S. Trade Ambassador for Agriculture, says that the agreement, the 86-page agreement, does have specifics in it, specific commodity targets, but those will not be published. Um, but he's that he is confident that there will be enough published that it will give us a bigger picture. What will be published, I think that will help, will be what was negotiated in the, in the way of removing tariff and non-tariff barriers. So that at least should give us some idea and then we'll just have to wait to see what China actually purchases and takes shipments of uh, to get the feel of, you know, will they meet that 40 to $50 billion uh, target? Yeah, typically, historically, these deals are short on details, especially at the time of the announcement. So we'll see if we get a, a little more than usual in this one. But as you said, until we start loading ships and and unloading them over in China, it's hard to see. It's going to be a kind of wait and see the impact on this, won't it? It really will be. And uh, meanwhile, we look at uh, the shipments going into China, the bookings uh, coming from both the Brazil and the United States slow down considerably for the month of January. And I think that's indicative of the soft demand that we see in China. I talked to our team uh, in China early this morning, late night there on Monday night for them. And uh, they talked about how soft the soy meal market is. They're crushing beans right now uh, for the oil because of the relatively tight oil stocks. Palm oil supplies are tight, and with the lower crush, the soy oil supplies are tight as well. But the soy meal is really backing up. They're running out of places to store the soy meal. 
and, uh, and that's just indicative of, of the sluggish demand thanks to African swine fever. And uh, soy oil demand in and of itself is probably not enough uh, to absorb the type of soybean imports that we'd like to see into China. Yeah, so, and given that scenario, plus the, the talk there about now backing off of their E10 commitment for ethanol, makes you wonder how, what's the path to get to 40 to $50 billion of sales to China? It does. Obviously, there's plenty of reasons to be skeptical. Of Number one is their poor track record in keeping agreements. So uh, I'm absolutely in that camp of, of being skeptical. But I also like to look at the what-ifs, the positive uh, potentials. Um, as we've looked at their ethanol program, we've long wondered what their commitment was. And uh, basically what we've learned is the program was, was largely the, the product of some very uh, successful, um, I want to say, lobbying efforts by some of the U.S. trade groups to try to increase demand for corn and ethanol in their country. And the, and the Chinese government never really bought into it. They were subsidizing it. Uh, just what were the size of those subsidies? We can't get official numbers like is the case for many official you know Chinese companies what subsidy levels are we believe it is somewhere between one and two billion dollars um, they never liked that subsidy so if the trade deal allows them to let go of that program and let go of that subsidy but yet they could remove the the uh, punitive tariffs on the United States and allow the ethanol and DDGs to come in that could end up as a win-win type of situation Will that happen? I don't know. There is interest in buying U.S. DDGs. We know that from buyers there, uh, as long as China allows that to happen. From an ethanol standpoint, we know that gasoline, excuse me, ethanol prices imported into China uh, with freight costs and everything are running about half the price of gasoline in China. So will the Chinese government facilitate or not the blending of U.S. ethanol to cheapen the supplies of their gas? And that's a key question that could have implications for our corn market here in the States. So I, I would expect this week when the signing happens that publicly we'll hear from the U.S. side, we'll hear a lot about getting to 40 and $50 billion and all these sales. And from the China side, we're going to hear kind of a downplaying of that. They're not, they're not just going to put, you know, go overboard and just uh, completely sell out to the U.S. So I think we're going to maybe hear two different messages uh, come out, out uh, on, on this once we get this trade deal signed. I fully agree with that. If the agreement is as we're being told it is, and and I think that it is, um, I think it's an embarrassment to the Chinese leadership that they gave in and gave us what they did. That doesn't mean that I expect them to fulfill those promises, um, but I think that they needed a deal, they wanted a deal, and they wanted to be able to move forward and uh, avoid some of the capital controls that the White House was leaking that they were threatening to put on. And so they agreed to a deal they really don't want people back home to hear about. So they're going to play down those expectations. And part of it is they may not live up to it as well, whereas the U.S. team obviously politically wants to play it up. So how do you think the market reacts once the deal is signed? Probably not a significant reaction, although I think that if they do see significant changes in tariff and non-tariff barriers, that can raise some hopes of future deal, and that may keep some of the optimism from the funds going uh, to kind of limit the selling and maybe support some of the buying. I think to actually really sustain a move in the market, though, we need to see actual business, as we talked about previously. Well, we uh, supposedly will know soon. We've been talking about this and waiting for this for a long, long time. So we'll see what comes out with the announcement, hopefully on Wednesday. Arlen, thanks a lot. Uh, We'll talk again after that announcement and uh, see how things look at that point. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone. So get ready. That'll be a big one this week, and then we'll see how it both sides spin it, and how do the markets react to it? Coming up next, we'll talk more about the U.S.-China, but we'll also talk about those numbers that came out 
on Friday. As Arlen said, it kind of turned out to be kind of a, a neutral report. How does Scott Irwin, University of Illinois Ag Economist, look at those numbers and the China deal? That's next on AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. With the start of every new year, you always have new possibilities. The new year is upon us, and Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network, has plenty of news to be excited about. Your host, Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture, has expanded the daily conversation into new geographies around the country. Mike has new online content, too. Navigate on your computer, smartphone, or tablet to AmericanAgNetwork.com. Under the Adams on Agriculture tab, you can listen to Mike's latest shows and also catch up on Mike's new weekly commentary. Adams on Agriculture is also available as an Alexa skill on your Amazon device. Adams on Agriculture with Mike Adams, presented by the American Ag Network. We're looking forward to new conversations with you throughout the year with information farmers and ranchers need to know. Check it out. Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. 
For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Borden Dairy Company is the second major milk producer to file for bankruptcy in the last two months, joining Dean Foods, the largest U.S. dairy company. Now, Borden's does still plan to uh, uh, stay in business, but Dean Foods intends to sell its assets. And what, what's behind it, and what does it mean moving forward? Joining us now is John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, thanks for joining us. When you have major brand names like this filing for bankruptcy, it has to, has to wave some red flags, doesn't it? You're exactly right. This does raise some red flags when you look at what happened with, with Dean Foods in 2019 and now uh, with Borden in 2020. It, it really makes you think that, that dairy may be – uh, at an inflection point, when you think about the Class One market and, and where the the trends have been uh, for fluid milk sales over the last few decades. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So we look ahead to this Wednesday. This is the date circled now for the signing of Phase 1 of the U.S.-China trade deal. We have been talking about this for over a year since this trade war started, anticipating getting it done, what would be in it, And we'll still have some questions after the announcement on Wednesday, no doubt, because we may get some details, but usually these things are short on details, and there'll be a lot of things we'll wait to see on. And even if they come out with some specific numbers, which they probably won't too much, but even if they do, um, the announcement of a deal is a lot different than a deal actually happening. You've got to get their, not only their commitment to do it, but also make sure that China fulfills any agreement that they sign. Historically, that's not always proven to be very easy. They don't always live up to those agreements. So we will see how that plays out. But I think one thing to keep in mind here, and it just reminds us once again about the role of China with our ag economy. We talk a lot about having and the need for and the importance of keeping an ag safety net. We talk about safety net a lot when it's time to write a farm bill. We talk about crop insurance as a safety net. We talk a lot of, about a lot of things as our safety net for U.S. agriculture. But let's face it, for a number of years, and certainly still now, the biggest safety net for U.S. agriculture remains China. China is the driving force for our ag economy. You say this past year, well, China was in the market a little bit, but not nearly as much as they normally are, and that's right. So what did that lead to? Market facilitation program payments, which really propped up our ag economy in 2019. Didn't make it whole, didn't make it uh, great, but for many, it meant the difference between uh, Maybe going out of business or staying in business or having a better year than they expected, a break-even year or better, it all came back around China. Because of the trade war with China, we wound up with MFP payments. So China is the driving force. What was the biggest story last year? Weather. And the weather to the point where Mother Nature gave us a huge set-aside, a number of millions of acres not planted. And ordinarily, that would have been enough to drive up the markets significantly. Why didn't they go up more? Because of the trade war with China. Concerns about where would we sell what we had. We had big stocks coming in, and we actually wound up even with the the problems with the weather producing more than many would have thought possible. But the question kept coming back to China. How much would they buy? When would the trade war get over? What was the other big story that was in 2019 and continues on into 2020? African swine fever. Where did that start? In China. It's spreading now. It's uh, starting to spread more through Europe. It's going to be a huge story again in 2020. But it creates 
a huge demand for protein. And it was frustrating in 2019 that the U.S. could not capitalize on that that opportunity. And now we'll see what the opportunities are this year. But again, it evolves around China. How much are they going to open up and buy? How much are they going to buy from other countries? It all still centers around what China does. You know, when I started in the uh, covering agriculture back in the late 70s, everything evolved around Russia. And we had the big grain embargo, and we know how that played out. And it just everything evolved around what was Russia doing, and what would they buy, and what would they not buy. And now that has all changed. It's all about China. China is the story. China continues to be the story. It's the market driver. It's our it's really our policy driver in this country in many ways and will continue to be as we move into 2020 and beyond. The big question is, once this deal is signed and we see how it plays out, what they buy, how much they buy, when they buy, the bigger story is going to be how did this trade war of 2019 with China How does it change long-term patterns of business in the ag sector long-term? That grain embargo with Russia back in the late 70s, uh, that changed things for a long long period of time. In fact, in some ways, still being felt, really propped up competitors, opened the door for them, made them stronger, and we're still dealing with them. What will be the long-term effects of this trade war with China as we move forward and only time will tell obviously but again china is the driving force around so many of these things that we deal with in agriculture we can talk about a lot of other things and we've seen some good things happen this past year as far as market development in other markets but let's face it you got to develop a lot of other markets to make up for what you lost in china this past year and it's hard to do that because market development work takes a lot of time and if you're trying to do it on multiple fronts which is what you need to do and glad we're doing it u.s meat export federation u.s grains council and others really working hard at that and doing good work but when you pull out your biggest customer that's a big hole to fill so hopefully they're back in they'll be back in the game this year to a larger extent but to how much of an extent we do not know but i always uh, i always think when people start talking about our ag safety net it's spelled C-H-I-N-A. That's, that is our ag safety net. All right. We'll see how it plays out on Wednesday. And meanwhile, we still wait for USMCA. It looks like that's getting pushed back because of the impeachment uh, trial. The articles of impeachment probably going to be going to the Senate, it looks like. But we don't know exactly when. So USMCA gets put on hold for a while. We'll be talking about these things and more coming up on tomorrow's program. Uh, We could not uh, catch up uh, with Scott Irwin from the University of Illinois. We'll try again uh, tomorrow. Maybe we'll be able to get him back, get his thoughts on what turned out to be, for all of its anticipation of maybe some fireworks, uh, a pretty neutral WASDE report on Friday. Because, again, why? Because we're looking to Wednesday and the signing of a trade deal with China. China, China, China. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Hey, thanks for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions.